0: this podcast is brought to you by military true crime addict a podcast focusing on true life events of military personnel veterans and those associated with the military give a voice to the victims and hear their side of the story raise awareness of the heinous crimes and support those most impacted military true crime addict is available wherever you get your podcasts and you don't need to know anything about the military to listen now back to the show Today's episode is brought to you by Omeo. Omeo is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America effortless. Just enter your travel details and Omeo will magically give you all the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey. It's never been simpler to book your first real vacation for 2021. Best of all, using Omeo saves you time and money. That's a win-win in our books. Omeo wants to help you leave your house this summer by offering you 5% off your next booking. Just head to omeo.com and use the promo code Omeo5 at checkout. That's O-M-I-O-5 at checkout. This is valid until July 31st for new users on all modes of transport. It's just the pick-me-up that 2021 needs. Omeo, plan, book, and love the journey. Terms and conditions apply.
1: The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal A.J.
0: Styles. You're listening to the two-man
1: power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what?
0: Okay. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, JP. John Paz with me today is a very special guest. He is a former a WWE referee for over 22 years. He's in the New England Wrestling Hall of Fame. He is Mr. Jimmy Corderas. Jimmy, welcome to the two-man power trip.
1: Well, thanks for having me, John. I very much appreciate it. And uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, the podcast is up there for New England uh, Hall of yeah. Fame, which is kind of cool. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's awesome. Any any Hall of Fame, right? It's yeah. Pretty, pretty cool to be in.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So what have you been
0: up to? What's been going on?
1: Uh, Well, you know, after obviously after the refereeing career, uh, I I went to believe it or not, I took a course in broadcasting, went to took a little course in broadcasting. And then uh, I met a fellow by the name of Arda Ocal, who for a little short time, was uh, Kyle Edwards in the WWE. Yeah. Yes, And he was working at the Score Television Network up here, which was the network that aired WWE broadcasting up here. And he asked me to come on his uh, serious radio show called Right After Wrestling at the time. And I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to. So basically, we watched the show at the studio, and then afterwards, we went live on uh, on uh, XM Radio. And he said, And uh, he just said, hey, do you want to do this as a regular gig? I said, man, I'd love to. So the after that, uh, I became a regular there. Then I got on the television show, which was kind of cool. And then
0: yeah.
1: WWE uh, switched partners. They went from the Score Television Network to Sportsnet up here in Canada. And they adopted uh, right after wrestling, but only they changed their name to Aftermath. And uh, I did that for, uh, what, nine years or so uh, before that went on uh, furlough. For lack of a better term, because of the pandemic, wonder. So, right. uh, and now I've got some other things in the works. Uh, who knows? Uh, stay tuned, because uh, you never know where you're going to see me next.
0: Is it back opened up again, Canada, or Are you guys still locked in?
1: Well, locked down. It's it's opening up. We're in stage two right now. They're about to go into stage three of opening up and and allowing uh, more businesses to open and so, that sort of thing. But uh, still not a hundred percent. I look. I'm. I'd rather be cautious than uh, you know. But then again, after <laughs> this past weekend, uh, we have a, a large Italian population here in uh, Canada. So uh, after the Euro victory, uh, there's a lot of partying going on up here.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. They yes. just beat England, right? In, in the finals, in the Euro Cup. Yeah. 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 I could see that being a crazy place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, ju- I think I saw Brett was doing a signing, but I was like, wait a second. How could he be doing a signing in the States if uh, if they're locked down in Calgary? So
1: mm-hmm.
0: he, he might not be doing that signing then.
1: Um, no, he probably is. I think, uh, it's, uh, the travel is essential travel. Like basically if you're going to work, they're allowing you to go mm. through and stuff like that, that sort of things. And, uh, I think vacation thing, uh, it, it's kind of, it's kind of weird, it, you know, trying to categorize it as what do you consider essential travel?
0: Right. Right. <laughs> Cause then yeah. it could be anything. Yeah, definitely.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So was it weird for you to kind of obviously be in the WWE for 22 years, but then be covering it for, you know, like a sports station for those years, for those nine years. Was that like, like a kind of a different transition for you.
1: Yeah, it is completely different because in the world of, uh, of wrestling, the referee uh, as I like to put it is invisible until he needs to be visible or she uh, needs to be visible. So you're kind of like a supporting actor helping the talent tell their story not be part of uh, you know what i mean so yeah uh, now on television when you're analyzing and breaking down you're in the forefront and you're giving your opinion which is what it is it's it's my take on things and and people may agree and they may disagree and that's okay everybody it's okay to disagree we don't have to all like the same thing right but you know i i gave my take it took me a while to get used to and to loosen up a little bit and relax and 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 feel comfortable giving my honest opinion because you know um like i said the score and then sportsnet be- were for lack of a better term business partners with the wwe i want i wanted to critique them honestly and fairly but i also didn't want to tick anybody off if you know what i mean so that's the balance it's okay to be critiquing as long as you not, you're not crapping on everything if you know what i mean like just yep. just to be uh just to take digs just for the sake of taking digs if that makes any sense
0: yeah yeah absolutely it's interesting, though, and not to pick on her, but like Aubrey Edwards, she wears like sometimes she says she got the red lipstick. Sometimes she's doing stuff with her nails. Is mm-hmm. that wrong to do, though, because you're not supposed to be noticed or is that who cares? Like that means nothing.
1: Um, that doesn't doesn't bother me as much as the mannerisms in the ring and how you, how the referees conduct themselves in the ring. And I don't know if you pay attention, pay attention to some of my rough and rants that I do. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and i hate to, to rank on the brothers and sisters in stripes but i do not like when the referees draw attention away from the talent when they're not supposed to it's okay if you're if if what you're doing in the ring is part of the story being told and you're supposed to be noticed but doing things and, and getting taking attention away from where the attention should be focused on that i'm not a big fan of um, I don't look really at the nails and the, the lipstick and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking more at the movements and stuff like that and and you know purposely getting themselves in the shot, like like, like a, look at look at me and overreacting to things. You know, and that that's the stuff that bothers me the most.
0: It seems like AEW obviously way more so than WB has a problem with that. It it for sure. The guy Rick Knox is like all over the place. Bryce mm-hmm. Remsburg's all over. It's just they're mm-hmm. too engaged and too noticed
1: exactly that's my point and and there has to be that fine balance you want to look like you're doing your job and paying attention to what's going on but also like i said you don't want to detract like let me put you this way and i hate the rank again on people but sometimes when i watch bryce and uh there's a big move performed on someone in the ring he's selling the move almost as much as like he took it right you know what i mean when a guy gets punched in the face or a girl gets punched in the jaw, it's okay for the referee to go, ooh, that looked like it hurt. Like subtle. you know. It's okay to do that. It's okay right. to react. But if you go like this and you go, ooh, and you're grabbing your own face like you got punched, ah, that's a little bit over the top. I get it. You know, Everybody says, well, you have to project to the people in the back so they can understand. The people in the ring, the talent that's telling the story projects to the back of the room. You help do that with your mannerisms with your one two and holding up two and whatever, but you don't have to sell the move like you took it.
0: <laughs> right. Yes. And I always notice too, even in other promotions, they do like not WB though, in other like indie leagues and stuff. They the do, ref does the shocked face, like <gasps> like right. on the like why would a ref ever do that? Let's say like a basketball ref, Michael Jordan hits a shot. Would that ref ever go, Oh
1: wow, he hit the shot? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's a weird reaction to have if you're a yeah. referee. Yeah, and I know, and I get it, and I—I uh, I don't know if you—you you heard the interview a little while back when uh, when uh, Bully on Bust Open kind of mm-hmm. kind of called—he—he didn't really call him out, but he—he—he he, he asked Tony Khan about this situation with the referees and taking attention away and and not paying attention to rules and that sort of stuff, and and one of Tony's answers, you know, and I don't know Tony, uh, from what I understand, he's a great guy, and and you know, I I wish. Contrary to popular opinion, I do wish AEW well. I want them to succeed because if they succeed, then the business as a whole succeeds. Yes. But for him to say that our fans don't care whether the referees are, you know, that just... Look, you you keep saying we're bringing pro wrestling back, and part of pro wrestling is the referees are an authority figure that tell, help tell the story, and there are rules involved, and they should be enforcing those rules.
0: Yeah. He might have been a little rude to Bully, but
1: <laughs> uh, you know that uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let that you know. I'll let people right. judge for themselves. I just thought his answer was very aloof, and he didn't answer Bully's question. If that makes sense, look uh, to say that your fans don't care. I get it. That that our hardcore audience has bought into their product, and that's fine. That's absolutely yeah. fine. And as we saw with the live crowd in Texas this week, you know they were th- that crowd so alive ha- helped add to the show.
0: Don't no, no doubt, yeah.
1: I mean, it made the show feel that much more special. You know, it, it got the viewer at home invested, and that's what you want. But at the same time, to say that you know we don't care whether the referees are really enforcing—no, come on—it's it, it, it's an entire package has to make sense. Let's put it that way.
0: It almost came off as if, like, not that he didn't know enough, but he wasn't smart enough to the psychology of the business to answer. Bully Ray correctly he, like he totally like sidetracked it he, like yeah. he didn't realize uh, maybe he doesn't realize the psychology of you know what i mean like maybe he doesn't understand the business as well as he thinks he understands it
1: that that could be too but uh, uh, the smart answer would be to kind of avoid any further discussion is you know what bully you may have a point there you know what we'll look into it and as they say on that show we'll we'll see if we can tighten the screws a little bit leave it at that Right. Work, it'll something it's something we will look into that's all and then 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 you can move on from there but it, it, to dismiss it like ah it's nothing nobody cares about that stuff anyways uh, yeah they do
0: it's funny these little chinks in the armor though they got to clean that that kind of stuff up like i always say uh to a bunch of the guys i always say man they always miss the hard camera a lot of the guys don't know where the hard camera is. I can't believe it's like shocking. I can't believe that because I know Triple H and WWE yeah. because they had a lot of backstage. They were saying he was like, guys, the hard camera's here. He's like explaining to everybody like where to look, what to do, how to react. That's mm-hmm. the camera. That's the camera. Like AEW, a lot of the times they don't know where the hard camera is. I'm shocked by that.
1: I don't know if it's they don't know where it is or is it, it. You know, it's not consciously drilled into them. Like in WWE, like you said, they do emphasize the hard camera and even the referees have to work a different style like when you're working a house show you work the entire ring you're working the circle when you're working television the hard camera is this way you're working the horseshoe as we used to call it
0: oh okay and
1: and and also be mindful of the handhelds down at ringside you don't want to you know interfere but at the same time you don't want to look like you're trying to avoid them you know it's again that art form of working the horseshoe without looking like, try not to cross in front. Uh, at times you may have to because, because of positioning in the ring or where the talent is, but you keep that to a minimum and try and work that horseshoe and and do your best to be mindful of the hard camera, especially the talent too. And when these young guys come up and they start working television, especially, you know, big time television, like they are on TNT or TBS or, or USA or even Fox, uh, you know, and they're not, you know used to working With a hard camera you know It it doesn't enter their mind Whereas it, you know and Again yeah. not not that I'm trying to You know put the WWE over but they do Drill into their talent this is A hard camera this is who we're playing to First and foremost this is the audience Yes the people in the crowd count as well But we got to let The people at home know what's going on too And that's who you're kind of playing to That's why all the promos are directed towards The hard camera
0: yeah Yep, not Matt Jackson on on AEW the other night. He was faced this way. It was weird. They had to try to get the camera around when mm-hmm. he was talking to Adam Page. I don't know if you noticed that he was had a slight turn, and they hurried to get the camera this way so they could see his face. It was like, oh man, mm-hmm. he didn't realize that's the hard camera. Like, oh man, it just this little thing yeah. is crazy.
1: The other thing too is uh, uh, you know on Wednesday night for Dynamite, you know their hard their hard camera at uh, daily pla- daily's place is that, uh, yeah. in Jacksonville was across from the stage so that might have been a little bit of a you know you get comfortable with it being in a certain position like for us at wwe when when i was there you know when you're facing when you're looking at the hard camera when you're looking at it from this way the ramp in the stage usually came when you're looking at your television from the left so when we're in the ring heading towards the ring we always knew that the hard camera was on the right and you know and worked accordingly sometimes depending on the venue The hard camera would be on the opposite side. So, you know, we'd be entering this way and your hard camera's on the left. And, you you know, 90% of the time it's on the right. So, you know, you automatically think to work that way. And then you got, oh, no, the hard camera's on the other side this week, you know. Yep. So that's probably what happened with Matt. He's so used to having the hard camera across from the stage as opposed to to the side.
0: Uh, uh, just incredible, obviously, good buddy of mine. He was saying that mm. Vince used to like beating everybody's head. Like, make sure you play to the millions over there, not the thousands over here, and always pay. So he said before the show, he used to go out and make sure. And a lot of the guys, yeah. he said, pointed out anyway, but he said just to make sure. Okay, yeah. hard cameras on the left today. Hard cameras. On the, like, he would make yeah. sure he knew where the hard camera was because you know when you're selling the move or you know, let's say the guy gets an arrest hold, he knows Jim Ross is going to talk, so face this way and.
1: When, when the hard camera, because like I said, 90, 95% of the time, it was when you're going out towards the ring, it's on your right. When it was on the left, they would put a sign on Gorilla before you walked out. Hard camera left. Wow, really? Yep. Just to keep, it was a reminder. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, people say, wow, you know, you don't have to, put." yeah, sometimes you got to. It, it, it's a smart move, I think. Anyways. And by the way, since you're talking about Justin Credible, next time you talk to him, please give him a hello from me. One of my favorite people. I love Justin.
0: Oh, awesome. We'll do. Yeah. I'm yeah. talking to him tomorrow. Nice. Okay. Oh, Will cool. Do. Please,
1: please give him my best.
0: Great guy. Great guy. Yes. As far as we were talking about ref and rant a little bit, where did that kind of start? Where's like, what where did that emanate from you do in the ref and rants?
1: Okay. This is going to be funny. I, I, like I was thinking, you know, everybody's using utilizing social media in different ways and trying to get out there a little bit. And I wanted to do something that was kind of fun. So, uh, you know, and, uh, so my wife says, "Why don't you do like a like a one minute video? Because you know, just a, it's just a short little one minute video on what happened last night in wrestling." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's not a bad idea." And I, I could I could just critique or, or find something and try to make it fun. It's that's one of the things I try to do too, as well, is make it fun, give my honest opinion, but at the same time, not try to throw people under the bus and not bury people, but just have a little fun and give honest critique, even like like even when a show is good one night, you know, there are little things. And I just point out the little things that I might have done differently or something like that. So her idea was, you know, do that. I'll film it for you. She's my camera person, nice. Nice. <laughs> you know, and then we had to come up with little, uh, I want to come up with little gimmicks, uh, like, T-shirts. Come yeah, up, there, you go. For... there you go. The cheap plug there for the ref and rant t-shirt. That's at pro Look at that. I learned yeah. that from Mick Foley. Get your cheap plugs in there. You know, yep. and then she made this little ducky for me and painted it with the little ref thing. So it's a ref and duck. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, and you know, then we needed a name for it. So, you know, hashtag ref and rant. But but the the origin of that came from my wife, believe it or not. It's her idea.
0: With those reference rants, obviously, you know, not you're your hard on them, but you're very honest. You know what I mean? I try just, to
1: be, yeah. yeah. No, I, again, like I said, I try to give honest critique, regardless of whether it's WWE, AEW, or whoever it might be. Uh, the funny thing is that, um, and I don't want to get into uh, <laughs> the, the divide, there seems to be a divide with the, the audience today, a crowd. You're either with AEW, or you're against them, or you're with WWE, or you're against them. No, why can't we just be with everybody? Like, I I have friends at both companies. I have friends at Impact Wrestling that that I want to see succeed and do well. I have friends at MLW. I have friends in NWA. I want all the companies. I want the business as a whole to succeed and everybody to do well. But regardless of what company it is, if I see something that I say, hmm, there's a little thing right there that I think that could have been done better, I'll point it out. That's all it is.
0: Yeah, definitely. It just seems like there definitely is a divide in people are like, oh, well, I'm an AEW fan. I'm a WWE fan. Mm. It is funny that they they kind of separate. You could be both. Like, Monday Night Wars, hey, I, I'm flicking channels. I'm watching WCW and WF. I'm going to both shows. Yeah. If WCW is running the Spectrum and, and you know, WWE is running the Wachovia Center, I'm yeah. going to both.
1: No, I hear you. And, and it's funny because regardless of what people will tell you, at, at Monday Night Raw, they are watching – Back in the day, they were watching what was going on in, on uh, on Monday Nitro, and vice versa. Down there, they you know they're watching, they're paying attention to see what's going on on Raw. You know, uh, what, what about the famous line, "Oh, D- Raw is taped this week," and on uh, you know this is the week that Mick Foley wins their world champion. You know what I mean, and that stuff. Yep. But it worked against them because now all of a sudden, oh really, you know. But uh, yeah, they, it was it was a war then, and I think. People were, were so enamored with it back then that they're trying to create one now. And yeah. and it it doesn't need to be a war, just enjoy.
0: Yeah, and Shivani uh, said obviously the line was fed to him, but he said yeah mm-hmm. that'll put some butts the seats.
1: Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and, and it, it did
0: eight hundred thousand people uh, flipped over and yeah. never came back. Yep,
1: exactly, and it, it, well it put it put uh, butts on their couches, that's for sure. <laughs>
0: Yep. I think it was like WWE only ever won one quarter rating after that. It, it's talking about quarter hour. They never won uh, a Monday Night War, but a uh, one quarter rating after that in the like, mm. year or two years that they were on after.
1: Yeah, not, not good. There went the eighty-three weeks. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of cheap plugs, I got to take a sip as well from this again. Oh, yeah. My wife, my wife had this this made for me. She she's awesome, man. I let me just put it this way: I, I kicked my coverage. I'll put it that way.
0: Nice, nice. That's that's what you got to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you know, we were talking about WB, obviously, and and you're 22 year vet. How'd you get in originally? I guess all the way back in 1987. How'd you like break into the
1: WWF? Actually, uh, just to, not to, not to correct you, but I actually got in uh, working with Jack Tunney in the office up here in Canada in 1985. I started refing in February of 87. Now, what I used to be, what I guess for lack of a better term, a season ticket holder at Maple Leaf Gardens. I went down to the wrestling office and said, Hey, listen, I come to every show. Is it possible to get the same ringside seats to every show? So I got two tickets to every show, and a, a friend would come with me, whoever w- would come. But what I would do is I would take pictures at the shows. And, and back then, I don't know if you remember the old Maple Leaf Gardens used to have a ramp that went level with yes. the on the Epic. entranceway. yes yes i was right second row right beside that ramp so when the, when the guys would come out i had perfect pictures while they're standing there posing doing their things But what i would do is there was a film place up here back then called direct film where you double your prints for a buck double your prints for a dollar so i would get a, pr- a set of prints made for me and i'd br- make a second set of prints and i would go to the next show and sell them for two bucks a pop
0: nice and it helped yeah
1: Yeah, a little bit of profit and helped fuel my habit you know paid for the tickets paid for the parking that kind of stuff you know you know but the guy that worked for jack tunney elio zarlenga i didn't know he worked for jack tunney he comes up to me and he goes hey can i see your pictures i said sure Says, how much are they i said two dollars each how many would you like he says none because you can't do this and i said what are you talking about he says you can't sell these pictures it's it's not you know, he started talking about copyright stuff. And I'm like, oh, why? Who are you? And he told me who he was. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. but, but he was a cool dude. He said, listen, I'll tell you what. Take your pictures. If you want to go down the street a little bit and sell them, I won't bug you. Just don't do it right in front of the place. You know, you do it right in front of Maple Leaf right. Gardens, right? Yeah. I said, okay, I got you. No problems. And then um, there was an old promoter up here called uh, Willie Fart. Uh, no, the wild man, the bear man, they used to call him. And he used to run shows at local or spots. And I ran into Elio at those shows. And we started chatting and he said, you know what, you take good pictures. Let me talk to Jack and see if I can get you, uh, you know, maybe you can help me out and you can be inside ringside taking pictures and stuff like that. I said, oh, cool. So he introduced me to Jack and Jack said, well, we don't need another photographer, but we'll find something for the kid to do. So I became the guy that, ran the errands and did all the stuff that needed to be done. You know what I mean? Uh, Okay. You know, it'd be show day and I'd be at Maple Leaf gardens early that afternoon. And Jack would hand me the keys to his fleet would uh, go to the airport and pick up Andre, the giant and Timmy white, you know, go to the Marriott. And I'm like, okay. And I'm trying to act cool. And in my mind, I'm going to pick up Andre, the giant. Oh my goodness. You know what I mean? Go pick up Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Yeah, You know? um, Yeah. So that's how it started. And then, here in Toronto, they used to run Maple Leaf Gardens every three weeks. But on Mondays, they used to tape three weeks worth of wrestling challenge in Brantford, Ontario, which is about an hour, 20-minute drive from Toronto. And then Tuesday nights, they do Superstars in Poughkeepsie. So they'd fly to, from Toronto to New York. So uh, I, myself and Elio would drive minibuses. I'd take the heels or he'd take the heels and I'd take the baby faces. It alternated, but usually I like taking the heels, but anyway, they were more fun. Um so we drive back and forth and you know did that for a little while and then Pat comes up to me and he says have you ever thought about possibly becoming a referee and I said no Pat I never thought it you know because in your mind you're thinking I'd love to do the wrestling the gig right
0: yeah, yeah thinking
1: yeah and I said no but that sounds kind of cool so he went to he went to Jack he said Jack you know we got the kid here he's here all day he waits around for the show to finish and then take the boy he says why don't we use him during the show we can make him a referee and Jack says do you really want to smarten the kid up <laughs> and Pat goes, he's in the locker room with the boys. How much smarter do you want to get? I mean, he knows what's right. going on, you know, kind of thing. So he goes, uh, so Pat tells me, he says, go get yourself black sneakers, black pants, a blue dress shirt, and a black bow tie. And carry that it pattern, with you. Right? Yep. Okay. And, and carry it with you all the time. I said, cool. So I went and got that stuff, but I didn't wasn't smart enough to start asking questions of all the guys, like all the refs, and say, Hey, you know, you know, to learn. Right. So, so one day it was February of '87. Chief Jay Strongbow was the agent, and he comes up to me and says, uh, "Jimmy, you got your ref gear with you?" And I said, "Yes, I do, Chief." Oh, sorry, Jimmy Jam was his nickname for me. I, and Chief had a nickname for everybody. Right. Uh, so he says, "Jimmy Jam, you got your ref stuff with you?" And I said, "Yes, sir, I do." He goes, "Okay, put it on your ref tonight." And I didn't want to say, "Oh, not want to say," but I've never refed before or anything. Okay, Chief, you got it. What match? He said, "S.D. Jones versus uh, Red Demon, who was Jose Luis Rivera." And I thought, at least you know, SD and I were were buddies, and I said, Good, at least it's somebody I know. So I went to SD and I said, you know, SD, I'm reffing your match. And I said, Great. I said, I've never reffed a match before. I said, just stay close to me, listen to me, I'll talk you through it. And he did. And that was it. That was the that was the baptism by fire.
0: Nice, love it. Was Jack Tummy on the take, as Hogan used to love to say?
1: <laughs> well, uh, I never witnessed it, but uh, you know, there were rumors flying around. <laughs>
0: Actually, I guess Ventura really said uh, Hogan will always call him that no good Jack Tunney, actually. yeah, He used to be yeah. that no good Jack Tunney, which made me as a fan as a kid always think, like, is Jack Tunney? Like, he's he bad Hulk is k- saying he's no good.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, I'm used to the heels uh, having problems with the authority figures, yep. especially especially ones that are not technically a heel like Vince was. Vince was a heel authority figure. So, so for the for for Hulk to say that no good Jack Tunney or the whatever he said is kind of like hmm, that kind of throws you off because he Jesse Ventura is going to rank on all the baby faces, right? You?
0: Right, of course. Yeah, he's on the yeah. take, take, yeah. Tunney. It's like so, yeah. But when Hogan said you're like, wait a second, something is yeah. up with Jack Tunney. How was Jack Tunney though, really? The behind the scenes, how was he?
1: No, he was fair, he was fine. You know, quick story like I told you, like you know, one time he's he he um. Gave me the keys to his Cadillac, says, you know, go up to the Marriott by the airport, pick up Andre and Timmy White. And I said, you got it. So I head up there and I I call up to Andre's room and there's no answer. Then I call Timmy's room and I said, Timmy, uh, it's Jimmy. I'm here to pick you and boss up, uh, which is what everybody called him. And he says, "Okay, I'll be down in a a little in about 10, 15 minutes. He says, boss is probably in the bar. Just uh, you'll find him there. I said, "Okay." So I go in the bar and I said, hey, boss. uh, here to take you and Timmy. Timmy's going to be down about 10 minutes. He said, okay, come on, have a drink. And I'm like thinking, but uh, boss, I'm driving. It's okay, just have one drink. I said, I guess it's going to be... Nobody says no to Andre, right? Right, yeah. You know You know what I mean? So now a few drinks later, because like I said, I'm feeling a little bit... I'm not, not hammered or anything, but I'm feeling a little... Eh, just a little tipsy. Yep. And Timmy comes down and he goes, oh boy. He goes, do you want me to drive? I said... The only problem is if we pull up to the building and you're driving, I'm going home <laughs> because mm-hmm. I won't be working here anymore. So I ended up driving care. I don't recommend it. Please do not, you know, think about doing it. I, I was like 10 miles under the speed limit, just carefully driving my way down there. And, you know, Timmy was sitting beside me, which was cool. And Andre had the whole backseat to himself, a Fleetwood Cadillac. So, you know, and we get down to the building and Timmy just said, stay away from everybody. I said, OK. So we walk in the building, but I had to give Jack his keys back. So I had Jack his keys back and I go, here you go, here, here you go, Jack. And as I go to walk away, he goes, Jimmy, come here. He looks at me and goes, Say, have you been drinking? And I went, um, and I didn't answer him. And he goes, uh, was Andre in the bar? I went, um, uh, he said, uh, and he cornered you, didn't he? And I went, um, uh, I still haven't answered any of the three right, questions right. yet. you know. Yeah. And he goes, go in my office. There's some coffee there. Go drink some coffee before any of the agents see you. And I said, oh, wow. And, and you know, he talked to me later and gave me the old, you know, I get it. You got to be careful, and blah, blah, blah. And, but, you know, he could have, like, just said, that, that's it. But he was really cool about that. And he was, I I had a good relationship with him. He was cool. And then when I when I started going to TVs in the States, uh, and, and he was at the TVs, of course, as President Jack Tunney. And when it was close enough for him to drive, he would ask me to drive with him. You know, so you know, here I am driving the Cadillac with President yeah. Jack Tunney and and stuff like that down to um, Binghamton, New York, for for television, you know, or something like that. You're hanging out with pre- the president, Jack yeah.
0: Jack. yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. How was Andre? I mean, there's legendary stories. He he drinks eighty bottles and all this crazy stuff. But how was he really? And are those stories legit?
1: Uh, the stories, for the most part, are legit. I mean, I've seen him pound back. Uh, I, you you lose count he could just he was uh uh he was a bottomless pit when it came to drinking it was so i know this a lot of the stories sound exaggerated but trust me and if andre liked you you were gold um i know he had issues with with certain guys but then he did he just didn't bother with them you know what i mean it was just like uh people if if you knew you were in andre's uh not on his good side, for lack of a better term, you stayed away from him. Uh, it was funny because I, I remember Warrior uh, Andre was uh, paired with Warrior for a little while there before he, you know, his career ended. And there's the infamous story of they had a spot worked out where Warrior would hit the ropes and come with three clotheslines, and on the third one, Andre would tie himself in the ropes at yep. oh, the yeah. top, and you know, after the third clothesline, and Andre kept telling him, he says, "Listen." You're not hurting me, but you don't have to hit me hard. I will sell for you. And, you know, and, uh, and Warrior didn't know any better, but he said, okay, okay. So they're at a show and he's here he comes and he's flying 100 miles an hour and he's bouncing off Andre. So he comes for the third one and Andre just put his fist to that big ass yeah. giant. Fair boom. On, uh, yeah, and, and Warrior runs right into it and goes down. And then uh, they go over the spot again. And he says, "Run it again," and they do the spot. And Andre ties himself in the ropes, and while he's tied in the ropes, he looks over at Bobby Heaton and says, "He's learning." <laughs> <laughs> and it's just tremendous. Oh. But again, he did. It's not that he didn't dis, he disliked Warrior. He just like you know, just listen to me.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess he didn't particularly like Savage as much either, or as the stories go.
1: That's what I kept hearing. But, you know, like stuff like that, I kind of, when I heard those things, I kind of stayed away from it. If it makes, you know, I just, I like saying, I didn't want to be the guy that people went to. Hey, did you see, that? you know, yeah. Um, I, you know, I understand he didn't like Savage, but I think it was more because he was over, Randy was a little overly protective of Liz. And I think that was part of the problem.
0: What was it like backstage at that era? Because we're talking about larger than life guys. We haven't really seen it in the business. Really, maybe attitude, error, But really, since then, Hogan, Savage, Warrior, Piper, Andre. I mean, these are like gods amongst men. What was it like behind the scenes with these guys?
1: It, it, it was amazing. I mean, for me, at least, anyways, from my point of view. Here's this, here's this youngster, and I'm getting to see these legends of the business, and and you know, like I said, going going and getting Andre from the airport and having drinks with him, and. And he, him calling me boss, hey, boss, come here, have a beer, you know, like that. That's the coolest thing ever. And and having Piper, when, back when I had hair, Piper used to call me Gabe. His nickname for me was Gabe because he said I had hair like Gabe Kaplan, if anybody out there remembers Welcome Back Hotter. Oh you know, yes. Yeah. 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 So I had a bit of a fuzz going on. And, uh, and at one point I grew a mustache and you, Hey Gabe, you know, and it's like, Oh my goodness, here we go. So the mustache went away after that, but he's still, you know, <laughs> but he was so awesome. And, and again, there was that competition. There were guys that, you know, didn't like each other, but I, or no, I don't want to say didn't like each other, but you know, there was those rivalries that, you know, Guys would get, whether it was jealousy, whatever the case may be. But for the most part, the guys got along. And at the end of the day, if it came down to it, the guys did stick up for one another, you know, regardless of, you know, the locker room was a locker room and we look after each other. And at, at the core of it all, that's what it was like.
0: As far as you and coming along, like you're obviously, you're a referee for the WBF. who is training you or you're literally training on the job.
1: Uh, both. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm asking advice from everybody. I mean, uh, obviously Dave Habner was there at the time. Um, uh, who else was there? Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, I got to, to work, uh, with some Canadian legends of, uh, um, Roger Francoeur who recently passed away. You know, I got to work with guys like Dick Worley and those guys, uh, but, but mainly, mainly Dave and, and Earl, when he came on board and Joey Morella, cause Joy had already, you know, been there for a while and so um and the one thing that the the main thing that i learned from them was you never stop learning you don't don't ever think you know it all because guess what you don't right but it's it it was great being a sponge and being around those guys to, to to pick that stuff up you know joey was so calm and cool with everything you know he's gorilla's son he was gorilla's son you know god rest his soul and then uh you know Getting to learn from him, getting to learn from David Hebner and Earl Hebner, and uh, Timmy White as well. Who I, Danny David? Oh my goodness! Yeah. Uh, Gilberto Roman. There are some names, you know, guys. I got to you know, to learn from, and and every time I got back from the ring, I would ask them, "Did you see that? Did you see the matches or anything, you know?" And hey, when you're in the corners, try to be more turned to this side. Don't go on this side because you're blocking. We talked about it earlier. You're, when you're on this side, you're blocking the hard camera. Stay yeah. to this side, you know, and that kind of stuff. But Man, it was amazing.
0: Great, Joey Morella, the legendary. Uh, yeah, Joey yeah. Shame uh what it, happened. Yeah. To him crazy.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Did, you had Mike Yoda come on a little bit after you as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mike, Mike, Mike is a fun dude. He's just, <laughs> he's just. Uh, Mike is just so. Uh, he he's so, East Coast. It isn't funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just. He was he he was boisterous. He had that voice. He had that rough, gravelly voice a little yeah. bit and. He, and he was fun to be around. He was a lot of fun, you know. So
0: when you're kind of going along and, and becoming a ref, what is the importance of ref? I feel like a lot of people either don't know or kind of misconstrue, like the importance of the referee, especially, let's say, uh, could be championship match, could be Hogan match, just any real, any match WWF, Like what's the importance of the referee and, and really in wrestling?
1: I, I think I think it, uh, I, I did it. I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Um, the referee is part of the entire story. Uh, obviously, the main part of the story is the talent in the ring. You know, th- them wanting to tell the story. You're helping them tell their story and facilitating. And yes, we all know. I know people are like, "Well, does he have to be like a legit ref?" Because we all know that wrestling is uh, predetermined or um, blah blah blah. Listen, it, it, we are presenting this like it's a like it's an actual sport, right? Right. Right. So. So then the referee should be presented like he's enforcing rules as if it were. uh, Now, obviously, there's going to be little nuances and stuff like that. But again, you are not the center of attraction. You're helping them facilitate their story. And referees, whether it's uh, mannerisms, however they react, as the match progresses and gets more intense, you are slowly upping your intensity level as well. But again, trying not to overshadow the intensity level that's going on with the talent, if if, if you get my meaning with that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a little more energy, a little more, like as the match progresses and the false finishes become more important, you know, you showing a little more excitement, not changing your cadence or your count, but you're looking, you know what I mean? Your excitement level is building with theirs. If right. that makes sense. So yep. again, you're helping tell that story. And being invisible until you need to be visible.
0: Is there a certain cadence that WBF likes to do? Because I just noticed that, like, through years of just watching wrestling, is, is it the individual ref or is it the organization? Because I noticed, like, even ECW, like, one, two, three, like, they do a little bit of quick count. WWF seemed like more dramatic, one, two, and WCW sometimes is like in between where they'd be like, one, two. You know what I mean? It, there's yeah. always a different cadence with the refs.
1: Right. Uh, each ref has kind of their own cadence uh at, to, for me as long as it's it's that fine line you don't want to be too fast you don't want to be way too slow uh i know sometimes guys are very slow on on false finish slower on false finishes to make it feel yes. more dramatic yes. i'm i'm not a fan of that i like keep it trying to keep it as consistent as possible the cadence throughout the entire match whether you know sometimes you're you're a little bit higher as the match progresses because you like I said, as, as the match progresses and the intensity level and the excitement level raises, you're a little more energetic as well, kind of, so to speak. But um, it, it's not an edict from WWE other than not too fast. They will let you know you're counting too fast. You're counting too slow. Somewhere in the middle or something like that. But they, there's no official set. This is the cadence. And the I don't want to give it away here, but uh, I'm starting to notice that a lot of referees now are also – giving away false finishes, they have tells. And I don't want to say anything because when I was sitting with the, uh, when SummerSlam was here in Toronto in 2019, I was sitting with the producer of our show and we're watching and he's getting up and he's going, Oh, I thought that was it. I said, I knew it. He said, what do you mean? I said, Never mind." He said, then here comes another false finish. He says, Oh, I thought that was it. And I said, no, he says, how do you, I said, there's a tell. So he said, what do you mean? There's a tell. So I told, uh, I told, I said, do you really want to hear it? He says sure. So I told him uh, what I was noticing as a referee, and he goes, "Now I can't unsee it." <laughs> so that's why. So that's why there. Almost every referee out there has a little bit of a tell, including myself, probably. I if I go back and watch, but I will never point it out because once I do, then people, you know, now people watch people go out and say, no, I got to go look for that tell." But yeah, know, yeah, <laughs> I could I could have spoiled it already. <laughs>
0: Watch those false finishes. We want to see, uh, you know, want to see that those tells. Yeah, a lot of the wrestlers have the tells. I don't know. Like, have you noticed that they, sometimes when the camera's there and there's going to be a false finish, they always have their eyes on the ref. Mm-hmm. Usually, that means they're going to kick out if they're watching the ref, making sure. I feel mm-hmm. like either that the camera's in the wrong spot or they've got to keep their eyes closed and just sense the three count. You know what I mean?
1: No, no, you can leave your eyes open, but just don't make it. it again, it's that art form of not making it obvious you're staring at the. The ref, right. You know what I mean. And if it's really close, let me. I've done it before in the past, where, and I think it happened on our Oasis this past weekend, where there was an actual three count, but the referee noticed the leg under the rope after the three count, and then said, "No, I no," waved off the waved off the pin, if I'm not mistaken. I, I could be wrong. i just trying to remember. Right. But there, there were times where, uh, you know, it's one. Two, and as I'm coming down for three, he's kicking out at the exact same time. My hand did hit, but I wave it off like, no, 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 he kicked out before I hit three. You know, at, trying to add a little more drama to it. I right. don't know. It's, it, it's, it's, it is an art form, and I don't think people realize that the refereeing, there is an art to it. And uh, um, think, oh, no, he just goes in there or she, and they just stand around and count three and pretend like they're enforcing rules. No, no. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot more than that.
0: I have seen the one, two, and then they're like going like this, you know, very slow motion. Cause they know the guys about to kick out, but that's a dead giveaway. The guy about to kick, kind of ruins the, the momentum of the match.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And it falls upon them. And we were told by Vince back in the day that if they don't kick out, count three. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, and Vince says, you know, you may have heat with the boys, but you won't have heat with me. Yeah. <laughs> who
0: is exactly who you don't want to have heat with vince there you go
1: <laughs>
0: the only one that matters exactly so when you're kind of going along the wbf you always hear that okay certain guys like to work with certain refs why is that is that a comfortability thing how come certain guys want to work with certain referees
1: i guess, Yeah, i guess it is a comfort uh comfort um thing you know you get you get comfortable working with guys. Like I said, you talked about cadence. Some guys, you know, are, are comfortable with a certain cadence and they feel, or they feel that the, you know, their referees do not take away from their match and help them, you know, uh, where I've had, I've had instances where I've been requested for matches and and it's an honor. It really is for guys to be comfortable with you in the match, you know, and even with the office, like uh, the office, um, uh, a lot of the three-way uh, TLC matches with the Dudleys and the Hardys and Edge and Christian um, uh, PS, Michael Hayes would always say, you know, like to have you out there for that because you're always aware you're out of the way, but you're always making sure that the talent is okay. And and making sure certain objects get out of the way that need to get out of the way. Right. Uh, h- here's one for you. Like WrestleMania 17. Uh, um, you, well, well, um, Jeff is hanging from the, uh, from from the deal up there, you know, and Edge is about to spear him in midair. You can see me down in the corner trying to drag the ladder out of the way so that Jeff and the Edge don't land on it. Little things like that, you know, you try to... Anyways. Uh, yeah, because that would
0: have been deadly for Jeff. So, so I guess,
1: yeah, yeah. So, I guess, you know, little things like that make them feel comfortable because you're you're trying to pay attention and you're looking out for them as well.
0: Yeah. With that, who else has requested you? I know the TLC matches like is, is there somebody would say oh, I always always want to work Jimmy like somebody you can think of
1: um, well two two come to mind uh, um, Eddie back in the day I we liked working with each other because we had a lot of fun with each uh, we got we were buddies but not only that when he went through that lie cheat and steal phase um, yeah I don't know we just had it, it just felt right every time we kept doing the, he tried to kind of do that 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 fun stuff behind my back and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And there was even a time where, you know, he's going over, I think it was a match with Matt Hardy, if I'm not mistaken, him and Matt Hardy. And I was being distracted at ringside. Um, so I had my back to it and, you know, Eddie would, 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 do something with the chair and then throw it to Matt and lay down like kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and I went, Hmm. And he looked at me and he goes, what? I said, no, no, no. He said, no, no, no. Something came to your mind. What is it? And I said, you know, you throw him the chair and you lay down, but what if Matt were to throw the chair back to you? And he went, what? Oh, he says, okay, so instead of you laying down, you drop down to your knees like you're you're cowering in fear, but, you know, before I turn around, Matt throws the, the chair back to you, and, you're, and I turn around, and you've got it. And then right. we, we actually worked it out where he got the chair back, but then threw it to the side, left it in the ring. And when I turn around, I see the chair in the ring, and I'm like, "What the hell are you guys doing with this chair?" You know.
0: Right, right.
1: So, but then he's, he, after that, he was Eddie was like, "Jimmy, if you've got an idea, tell me, man. Please tell me." You know. And I was yeah. Like, cool, cool. And of course, um, the biggest one for me was Edge, Edge and Taker at WrestleMania 24. Um, I want to say we were in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I come into the locker room and. You know, Edge comes over and says, "Hey, Jimmy, can I talk to you for a minute?" I said, "Sure." And he brought me outside, and we came in, and he said, "Uh, "Taker and I would like to have you referee our match at WrestleMania." I said, "Oh, wow!" I said, Uh, "Unfortunately, it's not up to me, but I guess you guys have (laughs) have enough stroke." So, uh, he said, "No, no, no, we 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 are requesting you for the match." And I was like, "That is the coolest thing ever," and uh, honored blessed. I mean, it, you know, again, edge, another good friend, you know, and taker who, I uh, taker, I'm a, I'm a taker guy. You know what I mean? Cause uh, he was, he was our locker room leader, but never told anybody he was, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? I know you've heard this before where taker was a locker room leader, but he never, yep. it, it was, it was by default because everybody went to him. It's not like he came out one day and said, Hey, I'm running this locker room. I'm the head of the table, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Everybody went to take her for advice. Everybody went to take her to ask him whatever, you know, he, he was voted locker room leader for lack of a better term. And to, and to be requested for that match at WrestleMania, the biggest honor of my career.
0: That is great. And and to be requested for it is even better. Did you know it was going to be the main event that night?
1: Uh, one, once I found out it was for the world heavyweight championship. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did. And I was like, both nervous because now I'm going, this is the coolest thing ever. And at the same time, okay, you can't mess this up. You got to be there for these guys. And then, you know, we're going over the match the day before. Um, and, you know, they're talking about bumping me in the match. Are you cool with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, just out of the blue, Taker, just uh, how do you feel about taking a big boot? I'm like, absolutely, whatever you want. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? He says, unfortunately, that means, it, you know, the big boot, you're going to be taken out of the match. I, I'm taking a big boot by the Undertaker at WrestleMania. Are you kidding me? Any day of the week.
0: <laughs> yeah, hell
1: yeah. But the funny thing is, I got to tell you this part too. And so now we're as we're, you know, discussing things and yeah, but if Jimmy's out of the picture now, we need another ref to run down and do it. Who who do we get? And everybody kind of looked at each other on the SmackDown roster, referees, everybody looked at each other and kind of said at the same time, "Charles?" Because they had to run like 75 yards down that darn ramp to yeah, get the ring. Yeah, and we thought, yeah. The only guy who's going to make it without blowing up is going to be Charles. So.
0: <laughs> that is true. And I remember him sprinting like a madman.
1: Oh, guy. yeah. Yeah. And it just, again, added to the drama.
0: Yeah. He's going to get there. He's going to get there in time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. With, you know, obviously that being a part of the main event at WrestleMania, Undertaker Edge is great. But then you're also, unfortunately, you you were supposed to be the ref for the Owen Hart match, right? At, at Over the Edge. Yeah. Him and, and, and him and The Godfather. Man, just thinking about that. And and watching like Dark Side of the Ring covering it's just crazy, crazy to even be a part of that in the company is crazy, but to be in the ring when that happened. I mean, that's absolutely crazy to be a part of that no, unfortunate it, accident.
1: Yeah, it 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 is definitely the uh the saddest uh uh, you know, and I and I'm thinking about myself at this time, and and I keep, you know, have to remind myself that you know a family lost uh, a father, a husband, a brother. You know, uh, man, that that was definitely the hardest day for me in the business, in my career, um, being a part of that. And again, selfishly thinking that uh, if if it, not for a good piece of luck, I could have been a bigger part of that tragedy because I was so close to, um, the fall. Right. You know, and again, don't want to make this about me, but the, it was a horrible night. It was, it was absolutely horrible. And, and, you know, God bless Owen. He was, you, you talk about nice guys and people, there isn't one person that didn't like him. He was, when you say nicest guy in the business, that fit him to a T
0: always seems like everyone has such great stuff. Like either, you know, ripping stories or that he never had to pay for anything that he, you know, everyone, whether he had rides on the road or whatever, that somebody was always there for him. Like he had friends everywhere. It seemed like.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and see, and that's the thing about the ribs. None of the ribs were ever malicious or harmful. It was fun, good natured ribbing. It, it made you laugh. It was almost like, I want to say, actually, it was it was it was almost like a badge of honor to be ribbed by Owen. You did know? you
0: ever get uh, ribbed by him? Uh,
1: a couple of times, yes. Um, I got the same one that D'Lo got at the time. You know, uh, where I got my—I don't know how he did it, but he untied my my ref shoe, my sneaker <laughs> one time in the ring during a during a match, and I still to this day don't know how he did it. Um, I remember one time at a hotel, I get a phone call from from the, um, fr- I thought was the front desk, saying my right. credit card had been declined. I said, what are you talking about? No, oh, my credit card's fine. And they said, no, 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 sir. Your credit card has been declined. You have to come down to the front. I said, it's 2.30, man. Can we do this in the morning? He said, no, sir. We have to take care of this right now. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So, you know, I can put on a pair of shorts and t <laughs> t-shirt and I'm walking down with my wallet and stuff like that. I get to the front desk. And they said, yes, can I help you? And I said, yeah. Somebody just called my room about my credit card. And they, uh, no, no one I it, it took a little while, but I figured it out. Nah, I knew it was, you know, <laughs> okay. I got got, I got got, you know, and, and uh, one time I got here in t- Toronto, the, the, the guys, Jack Tunney used to, you know, when the guys used to come to town, he used to book a block of rooms at the old Howard Johnson's here by the airport. So that all the guys had, you know, stayed at the same place and can, you know, commute together. The guys that rode together and all that sort of stuff. And, and, a centrally located right by the airport and and also Howard Johnson's had a 24-hour restaurant so the guys could eat and stuff like that yeah so after a show at Maple Leaf Gardens we're in the restaurant eating myself Elio the guy who basically got me hired by Jack and, and we're just sitting there and then we we get the bill and the bill comes and we're going $78 what the heck did we have you know like, <laughs> you know what I mean he said, "Oh, that gentleman said you get you're paying for his stuff over there." And uh, okay. you know what? <laughs> what the heck? You know? Yep. Anyway,
0: that's great. And the D'Lo thing is right. Didn't he tie his shoes together while while they were wrestling, and he didn't even know it? Uh,
1: that's 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 what I heard from D'Lo. Yeah, I I, I I wasn't fortunate enough to be the referee for that match, but man, uh, I, I wouldn't be able to hold it. I wouldn't be able to control myself. I'd be laughing my butt off.
0: If I remember correctly, I think Delo's like oh, I'm pretty nervous now or something. He's like, all right, yeah, I'll I'll calm you down or something. So yeah. then he started messing with him, and he had no idea. He's like, look at your shoes. So yeah, and he goes, oh, are you calm now? Are you ready or whatever? He's like, yeah, yeah, all right. Like, it's like, yeah. kind of loosen him up a bit.
1: Yeah, exactly. He, it, man, he was a calming influence for everybody, and it, he was a he he was. Oh my goodness, he was so good. He was just so good. I remember one time, uh, um, so. Uh, <laughs> There was a debuting wrestler up here in Montreal uh, by the name of Carl Leduc. He was the nephew of uh, Joe Leduc, Mm -hmm. And uh, it was his first match, and he was wrestling uh, uh, John Bradshaw Layfield when he had the cowbell and the whole bit. Excuse me. So they wanted to put the kid over. He's in his home province, a town uh, of Montreal. And they said to John, do you mind uh, doing the honors for his kid? And John's like, no, no, no. He says, what do you do do for finish? And he says, I don't have one. He says, okay. Can you just do a small package? And he says, I don't know how to do that. And he says, pardon me? He says, I don't know how to do the small package. So he calls me. Over. I'm riffing the match, right? He goes, uh, Jimmy, uh, small package me. And I said, pardon me? He says, small package me. I said, here? And like, yeah. He says, do it. So I small package him. And as I small package him, he's looking up. at the, This is how you do it. You hook the you know, arm around the neck and you hook the arm in the leg and blah, blah, blah. And okay, so <laughs> we go out to the ring John basically had to put himself in a small package <laughs> But but one of the problems that the, the Carl had was uh, again. He was so Green for lack of a better term. He couldn't run the ropes properly Like he, he would run to the ropes kind of slow down lean on them, and run the other way. You know what? I mean So the next night in Ottawa, uh, i'm refing his match again, but he's reffing. He's wrestling. Owen this time and of course Chief Jay Strongbow says to Owen, he says, okay, take care of the kid, but whatever you do, don't have him run the ropes because it looks like crap. So they lock up, they go into a headlock. Um, and of course, Owen goes, shoot me off crisscross. <laughs> you know, so so they go into this crisscross, and this poor guy's trying to, to, to do his thing with the rope. And Owen's just going the Slowly jogging his way across the ring and having fun, and oh my goodness, it was just like that the whole match. Again, it was me just trying not to laugh throughout the entire match.
0: Right. Yeah. That's gotta be rough. I've heard of him like having purposely like the worst match ever on a house show just to pop the boys in the back or like put somebody in a headlock for like five minutes just to make a joke and mess around with like Dustin Rhodes or something Mm -hmm. like
1: that. Yeah. I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell you as well. Uh, My One of my favorite moments ever was a tag match with Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart versus Edge and Christian. And this was in Germany on our European tour. And Owen had pulled found a foreign object to use that when I got distracted he would use it behind my back and you know draw in the other baby face while he's using you know getting yep. heat and you know he'd pass it over to Jeff and when I went and checked Owen I'd go back to the baby face and go hey he has nothing and then you know he he passed it to Jeff and of course it's been passed back now I go check Jeff and there's nothing and then he's doing other little stuff like he's splashing uh edge off the bottom rope and covering his ankles going count. You know what I mean? So I'm going, one, two and edges barely kicking out. and So they're having fun. And we get to the spot where I finally catch him with the object and he's got it tucked under his arm like this. So I'm telling him to raise his arm, raise your arm. I say, no, raise your arm. No, you've got until five. If you don't raise your arm, I'm going to disqualify you. So I start counting. I get the four. He lifts his arm and this red napkin comes floating out. <laughs> and I'm looking at it float down to the ground. And I'm like, You know, they knew what it was. And, you know, Jeff's acting like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, he got caught, you know, and the baby, see, I told you he had something. And I'm looking, I didn't know what to do. So I just. Reached out and I picked it up. I said, "Were you using this?" And I'm trying to give him crap yeah. like like he's using an actual foreign object. Kind yeah,
0: of like, yeah, yeah. You know,
1: <laughs> I said, yeah, "Yeah, I should disqualify you," but you know. And then I go to throw the thing out of the ring, and of course, it's a napkin, so it's not going anywhere. Yeah, it's just floating yeah. around. But anyways, so we were having a little fun with that, and then they went into the comeback, and they went into a four way, and then they got Owen and Jeff in the corners down low, and Edge and Christian got up on the second ropes, and they're looking up at the crowd, you know, ready to do the ten punches. But as they're looking out at the crowd going, hey, I got these guys, both of them reach down in their trunks and they put these red nose, you know, <laughs> yeah, red red, r- red ball noses on there. Yep. So as they're looking up and down, Edge and Christian look down and they go, oh, my goodness. So they start punching. And as they're punching, the, the red balls fall off, right? Yep. So I pick yep. them up and I put them in my pockets. I still have them to this day. Oh, wow. Awesome. Those two, Those two little red rubber. Uh, yeah, yeah. Them. Yep. I still oh, have them awesome. to this day.
0: Look at that one! Even when he's got to have a uh, a match, he's even joking around and making oh fun. my goodness having fun.
1: Well, house shows there were that you know he made it fun for everybody.
0: Love that. Now you were kind of in the middle, um, completely off topic, completely another thing. But another kind of highlight of your career, or or something that probably gets brought up to you so much, is when Kurt Angle and Daniel Pewter had their little incident. Ooh. And I guess maybe Kurt didn't know Pewter's background, but he's got an MMA background. He had him in a. Kamura and he had him in that double wrist lock and he's going to mm. probably break his arm if, if he keeps going but you smartly cuz he had his shoulders down mm. you smartly quickly get the three count kurt wins and and get the hell out of there right
1: yeah that that was uh, again um they did that challenge i guess it was called what do they call them burpees we used to call them the yeah. squat thrusts squat thrusts yep. or whatever they had the challenge and you know um i can't remember the other kid that 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 won it oh my goodness the big tall kid oh see too many ref bumps can't remember but anyways Matt Morgan who was the big guy no no oh boy really oh Daniel couldn't. Rodimer no it wasn't even Rodimer it was um, oh my goodness it, yeah we'll figure it out but uh, anyways <laughs> so he wins the challenge and and he, wrestles, he has an impromptu little wrestling match with Kurt you know the kid's blown up now and Kurt uh, Olympic gold medalist ties him up in knots you know here it is here we go we're done and unbeknownst to us, Kurt decides to look out at the rest of the guys. Anybody else want to challenge your Olympic gold medalist? And of course, Peter puts his hand up, and we're going. I look at Al Snow, who's in the ring with us, and Al look at me, and I and I look. I go, What do we do? Al went. It's Kurt. What are you going to do? He's going to do whatever he wants, right? So, okay, this is an impromptu wrestling match. So they get into it, and they, you know, work their way into the corner. And I'm not an MMA expert by any means. But when I saw the the hammer lock in the Kimura, I knew Mm -hmm. it wasn't good. And I'm like, oh my goodness, how do we get out of this? And of course, I've got my earpiece in, but nobody's talking. All I could hear is what's going on out there. And we're like, you know, Kurt's going into business for himself here, you know? Yeah. And So then they fell, you know, with Kurt landing on top, but still in in the, uh, the, the Kimura. Yeah. And for some reason, it just, go down and count. I counted three, even though maybe at two, he rolled his shoulder. It doesn't matter. Uh, whatever. I, I I wasn't stopping. I was counting three at this point. So I counted three and, uh, it was just, it it wasn't like, I thought, okay. The only thing I was thinking is how do we get out of this? I didn't think, Oh, first opportunity I get, I'm going to count three. They just fell. And it just, it was a reaction more than anything. And after the whole thing was done, you know, he they got up, they got face to face, Kurt cut a promo on him. Uh, they went to the back. I went to the back. I went through Gorilla where Joe Briscoe was. He looked at me, he winked, and gave me a little bit of a thumbs up. Then I went down into, and I ran into Fit Finley, and Fit, you know, brought me to side. I said, "Who told you to count?" And I said, "Nobody, Fit. I just, I just did it." He said, "Well, you probably saved his arm because there was no way Kurt was going to give up to that kid." And I was like, "Ooh." Right. And 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 then since then, of course, he had to endure a little bit of ribbing after that. Uh, you know, welcome to the locker room, kid. Yeah. But, yeah.
0: By a bunch of the guys. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Kind of a uh, I don't know. Kurt going into business for himself, but Pewter went into business for himself too, and he realized, mm-hmm. like, come on, man, you can't do stuff like that.
1: No, I, I see, and I don't think he was at the time wise enough to realize that listen, the, this is a veteran, a gold medalist, and somebody who technically had a a broken freaking neck, you know. So, mm.
0: yeah, that's just great timing by you. Like, oh crap, something's gonna happen here. One, two, three, it's over. Kurt wins, yeah, get out of there because yeah. even the fans in attendance weren't really sure of what happened, they just know Kurt won, right. And- and a lot of people didn't notice the Camaro. So yeah. it was one of those things where it's like good, qu- good, quick thinking on your part.
1: Well, thank you I, again. It wasn't like, okay, I'm looking for the pin here. It just, I, I took advantage of an opportunity and thank, thank goodness it worked out.
0: Now, as we head towards the wind down, we head towards the finish. Who mm-hmm. was like some of your favorite guys to work with? I know you mentioned edge, obviously undertaker, Eddie, who were some mm-hmm. other guys that you love working with? Maybe, maybe more some, some of the old school guys. So the old school cool.
1: guys. Oh, Piper was always great, you know, like I loved working with Roddy because you never knew what to expect from him. It wasn't it wasn't like nowadays where the match is planned out, start to finish, and then, you know, we're going to do it. It was like back then it was like we're going to feel it out there, react to what, you know, if the crowd reacts, we're going to keep going. If they don't react. See, see, and I've been blessed to go through those those different eras. Loved working with John Cena when he was, uh, you know, in his prime. Like you said, Eddie, uh, Shawn Michaels, Hunter, my goodness. So, so man, I, I, you know, uh, you know, I got to work with guys like the Bulldogs and, and, and tag teams like, you know, the Rougeos. And and I love working with London and uh, uh, Spanky and uh, Paul London, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, uh, Joey Mercury and, and, and John Morrison. Getting to work with tag teams like that, and oh my goodness! I, again, I mentioned Owen. Um, I was fortunate enough to get to work with Mister Perfect. Oh my goodness, Kurt Henning. Oh man, I've been blessed. Now that I think about it, it's amazing. I look, I look around my room here. Look at Kurt Angle. I'm look, I'm looking at pictures of him. Oh, love JBL. Oh my goodness, working with JBL in his in his is is JR Ewing phase was phenomenal <laughs> it was just so much fun dude you know i look at you know Mick foley booker t oh my goodness booker you know I, i'm again i don't know ray mysterio another another one of my favorite matches uh ray mysterio and kurt henning at the uh, at summer i want to say oh two was the opening match like so one of my favorite matches that i got the ref you know oh, i can go on and on all day long <laughs>
0: What was your favorite era? I mean, you were there, obviously, 22 years. You're there for the golden era of the Hogan era. Mm-hmm. You were there for the Bret Hart era. You're there for, obviously, the new generation era, which was, I guess, a little bit of downturn. But then you're there for the attitude era. You're there for the ruthless aggression. What was your kind of favorite era to be a part of in the WWF?
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, I want to say uh, I, I, I hate to throw any era below the other because the golden era was absolutely amazing i mean like we talked about it earlier larger than life characters does it get any bigger than guys like hogan and andre and piper and and orndorff god bless him we lost him this week um you know and 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 guys of that ilk um but then that attitude era uh, you know was just a different time and guys were having fun and guys were were starting to find themselves and you know yeah, it's a toss up between maybe uh, Attitude Era, or maybe even Ruthless Aggression, because Ruthless Aggression is where we got, you know, we got the Austins, and we got, oh, speaking of favorite people to were, Austin, Rock, uh, yep. Cena, that kind of stuff, so um, I think I enjoyed that era more, I want to say Attitude Slash Ruthless Aggression, only because I started to feel more comfortable doing what I was doing. Then You know what I mean? I had learned more by then and was able to adapt better. Uh, I felt if I was during the golden era, if I if I was as experienced as I was during the attitude era slash uh, um, um, ruthless aggression era, I could have enjoyed that era even more. Right. Not saying I didn't. But, but you, you see what I'm saying? I could have mm-hmm. appreciated it more
0: with you. I know you also have the book, the three count, right? You also have,
1: tell us a little bit about the book. Uh, it's, uh, I wrote that, uh, a few years ago. Uh, it's called the three count, my life in stripes as a WWE referee. So it just basically chronicles uh, a lot of what I told you today, uh, my journey through, through WWE and all those years and, uh, and a little bit afterwards and how I got into broadcasting afterwards. And, and, uh, just me telling some stories along the way. And, uh, um, Tried to make it as fun as possible. Also telling my story as well.
0: Nice. Now, what else are you up to? I know you said you got some things on the pike. Anything you're able to talk about?
1: Uh, I wish I could disclose uh, right now. Right now, everything's kind of kept close to the vest. I can't really say anything right now, but uh, there are some projects in the work that we're looking at possibly uh, making a return somewhere. Let's just put it that way. Um, so, uh, un- until things get clarified, I really can't say anything at this point, but trust me when it does happen, John, you'll be one of the first to find out.
0: Nice. As far as ref and rants, that's going to be, keep going strong. You're going to keep that going.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, five days a week, Monday through Friday. And like I said, uh, everybody's uh fair game. Uh, I just find it funny that four days a week, I, uh, the subject usually revolves around WWE and, and I don't get as much heat as I do when the one day I Critique one little thing from AEW. All of a sudden, I, I'm getting bombarded. I'm going, uh, dude. I'm just pointing yeah. out one little thing. You know what I'm saying? You know, um, it's kind of like, um, like, like today's rant. I'll give you an example for this week where I said about AEW Dynamite, which I enjoyed. I thought it was fun. I thought it was a good show. I just would have wished they held off on the physicality between Cody Rhodes and Malachi Black a little longer and let that story play out a little bit more. Do you know what I'm saying? How yep. uh, Maybe here's something you know like a lot of people like to say if I had the pencil if I had the pencil you know have the lights go out on Cody have him come back on maybe he gets taken out again this week by Malachi Black who appears in the ring have that happen once maybe two more times and then it, ten- it looks like it's going to happen again the lights go out the lights come back up Mordecai Black's in the ring but Cody's gone whereas Cody lights go out they're back on Cody nails him with something right you know what i mean like and now you're off to the races give it time I, I just feel that sometimes aew tends to rush things a little bit just take your time let the story build let me let me want to see that physicality
0: yes even the omega adam page thing i noticed it was funny it's like okay it's over with but then omega comes back in the ring and then they had like after they already had the pull apart. then he comes back and they have another segment i was like oh my god like yeah, that wasn't needed if you're gonna do that either do it the next week or do it another time. it felt like i don't know it felt like they rushed that like why did he need to come back in the ring and do that
1: no exactly it it, it didn't need to be done that way i thought i thought it was uh done back, like you said backwards yep you know you, you know anyway it's little things uh, don't yeah. get me wrong again and people see that as oh you're just crapping on aew because they're not it. no i want them to succeed and i just want the, i just felt that that was it could have been done differently, which would have made it more exciting for me.
0: I think if they succeed, it's good for everybody because there'll be more wrestling and more people will be interested in wrestling, and exactly. it just helps out every everybody associated with the business that helps out.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Now, where can everybody find you? All your social media, your plugs, and everything else you got going on.
1: Yeah, uh, you can, obviously you can find me on Twitter at Jimmy Corderas. Uh, on Instagram at Real Jimmy Corderas. I had to put the real in front of it because it wouldn't let me do at Jimmy Corderos. I don't know why. Maybe somebody else is out there. They stole your and, name. Wow. I, I guess so. And, and of course on social media, uh, former WWE referee Jimmy Corderas on Facebook as well. And like you said, I have my ref and Rants daily from Monday to Friday every day. It's I try to be, like I said, honest but have fun with it as well. And you can, like I said, you can get your ref and rant T-shirts at prowrestlingteescom ref. and Maybe one day we'll get the mugs out there too. I mean, like my wife had these special made for me, but now I'm thinking about that. That'd be cool. Kind of maybe put those out there as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Jimmy, thank you uh, so much uh, for all the time today. Really appreciate it.
1: No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And uh, please stay safe out there in Jersey. And like you said, just incredible, buddy. Miss you.
0: Yes. Jimmy, thank you so much. Appreciate all the time tonight. Thank you. brother.